everybody. Welcome back for another week of Taylor Swift analysis. And for two weeks in a row, we have a special guest. So we have Sadie Frank. I am actually very excited to be here and discuss Taylor Swift, with whom I have been, you know, hand in hand since almost the very beginning. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I want to get what's your backstory with Taylor Swift? How'd you come to her? Um, well, I don't so I was thinking about this earlier. I don't have an exact year for this, but I know that I owned her eponymous debut album wow. in like CD form. And it was like before, I believe before anyone had really ever heard of her, it was like, Oh, who's this? Like, we just have this CD. I think my sister bought it. I remember listening to it like a ton. And I, this was like, I believe before she had any, any other music out, which would make me quite young. Yeah, um, I mean, that album was Oh six. I think we established. Yeah. So it might have been a little bit after, but it was, I think it was definitely before like Fearless came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to it. I loved it. We had this like, it's kind of convoluted, but we, in our garage had this like um, sort of trapeze almost, or like a swing that was like for yoga or like aerial acrobatics or something. I don't know. We no one ever used it, but I would like sit on it and use it as a swing and listen to Taylor Swift very loud on like a boom box and like swing and think about Twilight. I think you were given an option. What drew you to Red? Red, I think, of the albums, it's sort of, it's a really fun, like, transitional album for Taylor, right? Because she's mm-hmm. about to go into this, like, big 1989, like, rebranding. This is, like, just before the turning point, which I think is, like, a very interesting moment in her career, music-wise, genre-wise. And I just think it has a lot of bangers. I mean, Red is an incredible song. Begin Again is an incredible song. Oh, and this was such an interesting aesthetic moment for Taylor as well. <laughs> the black hat. <laughs> the yeah. <iconic> black hat. <laughs> she is an icon. It's just a very, it's a cool album. They're all cool, but yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm just going to introduce the album a little bit as I do at the top of every episode. So this is the album Red. It is her fourth studio album. It was released October 22nd, 2012 and spawned seven singles. We are never, ever getting back together. Begin again. I knew you were trouble. 22. Red. Everything has changed. And the last time. Emily and Rafe, are we familiar with any of these yet? A few. A few. I feel like I was looking at the track list and most of them, I um, I, I feel like I know most of like the singles, but not, mm-hmm. not a lot of them. The rest of it. And we know, Rafe, you've well established that you hate the singles what i've learned is that i don't i don't hate them so to speak but i do not love them and i feel like um 22 is one that i mentioned earlier in the podcast as being like not not for me as you said before they're kind of the beginning of people getting on that like taylor hate train and i feel like i did subscribe to that definitely well and it's also kind of the beginning of her that's funny i haven't thought about this but we're never getting back together is the beginning of her isn't it sort of the start of her like weird quirky music video thing like she hadn't done something that goofy before and now she's always doing something real goofy (laughs) i think this does fall into like the classic like i think you're so right it's like she is a parody of herself in the in the lead lead singles of this album like i know you were trouble plus we were never getting we were never ever getting back together it's like these are not my favorite songs i don't reach for these songs if i'm feeling sad or like if I'm feeling like I know someone's trouble or anything, I yeah. still am not going to be like, there's not really even for me an emotional moment for these songs. Does that make sense? But I think the hard thing also with Taylor is like, 
all of her singles get so horribly overplayed. Like, I really like Everything Has Changed, but I feel like I've heard it 40 million times. And so I'm never going to yeah. want to listen to it again, ever, ever. Mm. It's like Blackbird like, or something. A personal irrational vendetta against Ed Sheeran. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like that's part of the the hate train aspect of it too, because I feel like those songs, like all of those songs, I feel like were like hyper played at mm-hmm. any and all high school dances that I went to. It's like you know they're on the the, the playlist at least once, mm-hmm. if not totally. More. Um, yeah, all the time. All the you time. can't escape them. But I do them. think I think that apart from the singles, I don't think there's a bad song on this album. I think it's full of bangers. <laughs> I'm going to stand by that. I have my issues with this album. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it probably is my favorite and that's why I'm critical of it. Um Sure. I have I I'm not going I don't want to taint the listening experience though. So I'm just I'm going to I'm going to save it. Emily have you heard any of these songs? What do you think? I have heard a few. I've heard um, just the phrase, I don't know about you, but I'm turning 22 probably about 20, 30 times. And she still didn't get the lyric station. right. Amazing. No <laughs> else of the song. <laughs> what? It's, I'm feeling 22. It's not I'm turning 22. Did I say turning? You said t- turning. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Aside from that, I like in passing, I don't remember anything super well from this album. No. God, not even I knew you were trouble at all. I like remember that goat video. I was gonna say it's about the goat video. established mm. canon to this era. I don't yeah. I don't know if totally. like, the, the song itself really is the thing that sticks from my memory of right. that uh wow. you know internet phenomenon. I don't know if it's I more the goat. goat. It's like <laughs> Oh, yeah. Trouble, yeah, trouble. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That wasn't like a really good goat. No, thank you. I, I no, want to no, apologize. No. In, I, in my head, I was like, there was like a goat in the official music video, but I realized no. now, I realize now that we are talking about a, a meme. Oh God. Will. Anyways, to continue the um, introduction of this album, I was reading this release date interview she did with Yahoo, and there was this fantastic quote she had where she said. Uh, When I was approaching the idea of making this album, it took two years. In the first year, I wrote a lot of things on my own and kind of produced them with Nathan, Nathan Chapman, the way that we always do things. And my label came to me and they said, you're done. The record is finished. Congratulations. And I looked at my label head, Scott Borchetta, and I said, I just don't think we are because I think it's good, but I don't think it's different enough. And I don't think we're covering enough new ground here. Because this is album four. And when you're making album four, you have two choices. You can either do things the way that you have always done them, and then you're forming a pattern of doing things the same way. Or you can switch it up and go outside your comfort zone. And for me, my comfort zone is writing songs alone. So I just thought, what if I were to indulge those curiosities that I've always had? So in terms of writing on this album, she is still the lead writer on all the tracks. She solo wrote nine out of the extensive 16 tracks on the standard edition and she did co-produce it with nathan chapman however we have a whole host of new characters on the scene and just to do a quick introduction of her collaborators on this album we have dan wilson of the band sammy sonic who are known for their song closing time who is also co-written and produced on adele's 21 album he's also written with john legend um the chicks and pink we have dan huff producing and songwriting who's worked with Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Dolly Parton, the infamous Max Martin, who's 
the hitmaker behind Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, Insync, Katy Perry, The Weeknd, Maroon Five, Ariana Grande, um, Shellback, who is a longtime collaborator with Max Martin, who's also worked with Pink, Carrie Underwood, Kesha, One Direction. We have Jackknife Lee, who is a producer who's worked with The Killers, U2, One Direction, Snow Patrol. We have Jeff Fasker, another producer, songwriter, instrumentalist who's worked with Kanye West, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Bruno Mars, Drake, Harry Styles. Uh, and we have Butch Walker, who's worked with Katy Perry, Bowling for Soup, Avril Lavigne, Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco, and Green Day. And we have two duets, one with Gary Lightbody of Snow Patrol and Ed Sheeran of Ed Sheeran. <laughs> so <laughs> we have quite a host of people on this album. So uh, for Emily and Rafe, do you have any guesses? First of all, what do we think... Mm, the title might be referring to what do we think of the title and what do we think this album is going to sound like well i mean last time i feel like we were both fairly blindsided by the true uh reference of speak now so (laughs) i mean it's like i could go into this and be like red because it's it's bold and then she's like when I started menstruating, <laughs> it was red. You know what I mean? It's like, could go anywhere. So, um, but I feel like, I mean, obviously based on just the singles that I've heard, it's it's a lot more poppy of a sound. And I'm excited to like, I don't know, see what is outside of these singles because as you both have said that you really don't, <laughs> prefer or go to those those singles when you think of this album so well wait i don't know but i do want to say i think red is an amazing song i'm excited we we can, we can agree about that I've already, Daniel, I, right? we can agree about that i've already established that my favorite taylor swift song period is state of grace so um <laughs> i love that song so much and we're going to get to all oh all God. too well which if there oh. was a song to define taylor swift it's probably all too well so you're wow. absolutely correct you could not be more right thank wow. you Thank you. Well, so we got some heavy, heavy hitters on this album. How thrilling. This is such a good album. It's like, I'm literally just thinking of the sounding experience of you like hitting play on this album, not knowing what <laughs> these songs sound like. And I, I wish I were you to some extent to just be able to experience it for the first time. And I wish I were there to like watch your reactions as you go through this album. But um, I'll, um, I'll make a TikTok. <laughs> I think you're going to love it. Emily, what are your feelings? What do you think it's going to sound like? What do you predict she's going to cover in terms of themes? I don't know. What are mm-hmm. your thoughts? Well, I would like to say that I, too, am not venturing a guess as to what the title of the album is referring to. Um, it's I just I just am going to go in with no expectations this time and see where that takes me. I don't know exactly thematically. I mean, I'm, I, I bet there's going to be a breakup song of sorts. <laughs> a song about not wanting to get back together after breaking up. <laughs> so that's exciting. Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, uh, it's... It's it's pretty much up in the air in my mind, but I'm excited to to get into this era. Yeah, I I will say as we've kind of alluded to, it is one of her maybe the most dense album. So don't save it for the morning of. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's what you say. <laughs> Hello, welcome back. After a week of listening to Red, we got some big emotional songs to talk about. So just tell me, what are your initial reactions, uh, general thoughts about this album? I thought this was my favorite Taylor Swift album by far, so far, you know? Mm. I, I feel very strongly about that position. It's definitely the, the number one 
Me too. Nice. The sound just happens to be a bit more appealing to me. It has more of that alt-rock pop sound. Um, mm. And so I did appreciate that. Um, aside from that, I just thought it was a, a very well-constructed album. There are so many good songs in it. And that sounds like not maybe so much of an accomplishment, but it's like, how often do you get an album where you're like, wow, that that's another good one, you know? Like... And I don't think I could say the same necessarily going through song by song for each one that it was all like, yes, I would listen to this again, you know? Rafe, how much are we going to fight this week? How struggling are you feeling? It's interesting because it's like having listened to all of her other works because they are so different. Though they're so well known in terms of like, you know, they're some of her bigger singles slash of that era, at least. It's almost comical to hear like, these like big like dubstep drops kind of things happening where you're like well hold on (laughs) this is not the tailor that i was expecting (laughs) um (laughs) um, but also i think it's commendable that she delivers a really great mix and i think as you said before you know we can credit that to some of her collaborators on this album um, I don't know if I was like pulled very strongly by any individual ones, but I think as an album, how is that it, possible? It's very nice. <laughs> Rafe is heartless. We've already established. I don't that. know. Have you ever been in love? Ha- yeah, have you ever it's had like, your heart I'll be, on? Can I? No, it's like some of these songs I said I have a reaction to. Hold on. But I'm also happy to be the villain of this podcast. It's like every podcast needs a villain. Um, but yeah, in response to the I knew you were trouble and we were never getting back together Anywho. comments, right? I think, again, that is one of the strengths of this album and what uh, will behoove her in her future ventures is that when she wants to try out a new sound, a new style, she fully commits to it there wasn't like any tiptoeing into dubstep she's just like no full send into the dubstep zone how about you sadie i know this is an album that you've listened to a lot but did you have any new reactions doing a close listen deep dive this week what was what was funny about listening to it again after a long time is every single song on this album slapped and like i knew they were good but they're still good i wouldn't say every song but yeah, in general. I mean, if you're going to come after Starlight, I'll let you. Like, I'll let you do it. <laughs> that was not the one for me. I mean, that's not the strongest. No, I think we're all going to come after Starlight. <laughs> okay, we're going to No, I mean, that. I just... But yeah, that was sort of the surprising thing is is I really do just like all these songs and they still get me, man. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Besides a few of the songs, like the most dubstepy, poppy songs, I feel like they they sound still very fresh to me. Like they could still Mm -hmm. something like um, a state of grace. It feels like she could still release that now and it would still be very well received. Um, But speaking of state of grace, let's get into the opening track state of grace. I said, I I just really wouldn't know it was her. The sonic atmosphere is very angsty and it just feels very different already from, well, she definitely has dabbled in the sort of, alt rock kind of vibes but um i it easily could start playing and i would never think like ah taylor swift has come on um right it's almost mm-hmm. like a u2 arena rock type yeah feel. it's so funny to me obviously the like the the topic of genre is something that is a really important thing for taylor swift i would never say it's not 
Mm-hmm. But it's like as I'm thinking about this and and hearing hearing you guys talk about it, it's like, isn't she just a genre? Like, like to me, when this song plays, I'm not <laughs> like, oh, this sounds like this. I'm like, that is quintessential. Like, it's only she does this. And I think in in this song and this album, it's like like that. Absolutely. Um, and I have it's a lot not of anything. <laughs> I have a lot of notes on this song about it does off the bat sound pretty different from what she's released in the past, but she's actually bringing a lot of elements that she's used in the past to uh, bring continuity from her past albums into this one. So it's not such a jarring shift. By this point, she started to carve her own uh, niche within pop music. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like even if she's going in a new direction, you kind of know like what emotional place they'll be going to. You'll know some of the techniques she'll be bringing to the songs every time you turn on her music. Mm-hmm. Unless it's like what you maybe do, but um, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Emily? I'm really curious to th- to see what you thought of this song. I I would listen to this song again, and it was in fact the first song that I listened to just for the sake of like wanting to listen to it. I had no extra notes that I needed to take on it. I was like, I just like this song. I loved the orchestration. I loved the counterpoint that comes in at the end. It's just, it's just something I like I just I really like this number and I think it was such a strong start to the album because I think it really introduced this new sound that she was bringing in and and put it into the first track really nicely and really clearly and set up my expectations for the rest of the album yeah the first thing I'm uh enticed by are these huge drums uh we we haven't really heard um the guitar or, or drums in the style before from her and and to me this this might be a little bit of a stretch but you have the drums doing this like dun, 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 um pulse and it almost feels like a agitated heartbeat that is going to define her emotional state of the album so i think that's like the perfect way to set up where where she's going to be and in the past we talked about this uh tea drop that she uses in, in some of her melodies for example on you belong with me. She uses um, um, you belong with me. You belong with me. And right off the bat in the song, we have a guitar hook doing that same exact melody. We have another T drop, which will also mm, come to define the melodic choices she makes throughout the song. So she's saying, you know, we're going off in this new place. We're going to new heightened emotions, but we're not totally distancing ourselves from the past. We are using some of these old techniques. In addition to that, we have this whole song is built on something we've talked in the past, which is the Amen Cadence. And for more detail, please refer to our notes on Love Story and the Fearless episode. But essentially at the end of a religious song, you'll have a whole chorus, or at the end of a mass, you'll have a chorus singing this big Amen um, on the four chord and the one chord. And these are pretty much the only two chords she uses throughout the song to... Uh, highlight this feeling of really praying for something to happen, that it's almost a religious feeling, a, a devotional experience, something, uh, an ideal she'll play on later in the song Holy Ground, but it emphasizes that feeling of a, a deep need, a deep yearning. So in the first verse, I really like how on that line, all we know is touch and go, the guitar, like, I guess are, I, I don't know, eighth notes, quarter, eighth notes, are really... It feels like they're they're very much um, complimenting her vocal line in that way, and it I don't know it just amplifies this um, urgency that you were talking about that the drums 
start in? Yeah, and continuing into... Well, I'll continue to the chorus a little bit because I was going yeah, go to remark it. on the guitar. It is a very frenetic, agitated guitar line, and I think it perfectly complements this very soaring, uh, smooth vocal line she has for the chorus with this, I never saw you. I think also I, I really enjoyed all of the uh, distortion that we hear from certain guitar parts in the song. And I, I think it, mm-hmm. it both lends itself to like the general emotional tone of the song, but also complements this sort of vocal fry-y quality that she finds, I feel like more in the verses than, than in the chorus. But um, it it's just like a, a nice compliment to that. And I feel like they really make the best of utilizing this sort of complimentary guitar vocal parallel even later on like there's one point in the last chorus that it it almost sounds like the guitar takes over on her um i never saw you coming the like end of the coming like is taken over by the guitar so it almost sounds like this kind of jazzy like closed end vibrato kind of thing um so i think throughout the song they really they really take advantage of the instrumentation complementing her vocal performance wait i have some very i have a very non-specific thing to say sure sure please don't you think that the theme of the album red is sort of this ethereal like floating vocal line (laughs) (laughs) and and this is how it starts and you just feel like she's like become a literal angel and she's singing down to you from above and helping you i didn't notice that but you're gonna have to point that out as we go through the album do you know what i mean like the chorus of state of grace is like the first feeling of that oh i totally get that in this song yeah i just didn't um demarcate it as i went through the album as as much as you did we'll follow it (laughs) please please um so yeah some more specific moments getting into the second verse the second verse is definitely one of my favorite parts of the album in general where she's singing uh we are alone just you and me and the drum has become much more muted a much more they, they take out the bass end and it sounds almost like the beginning of the drums in forever and always where it sounds like these tape track almost it sounds like the sound is degraded over time a little bit and uh it creates an intimacy as they are alone in her room like the whole sound is brought to this very tight intimate space before it explodes into the so you were never a saint and i loved in shades all wrong um and that part is definitely one of my favorite lines again it focuses on alliteration which is something she's done in the past here she focuses on the s and i think her delivery is much more um it's more forceful here to match the music Mm -hmm. and it has this clear emotional shift I think you're so right. It's yeah. the it's such an amazing transition. Mm-hmm. I think I think just Twin Fire Signs, Four Blue Eyes is one of my favorite Taylor Swift lyrics like of all time. Absolutely. Can you believe it? It's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> That's my take. <laughs> to me, there's obviously wow. she's playing a lot with color and you know, the fact that their blue eyes kind of contrasts the red that she's going to experience, whereas like you know, the blue is more of this depression that she's going to feel later. And this the fact that they're blue eyes almost is like foreshadowing that this relationship isn't going to work out in the end. Yeah, but it's that uh, we all like I, I know that feeling so deeply of like being with someone and like in that line, she's saying like we're two like two people who have these these like shared things, like essentially sort of doubling herself with the mm. with like the partner. Yeah. And it's like. That's such an 
like an amazing expression of, of what it's like to be intimate with someone, especially in a volatile situation where you are, where you feel so deeply connected, you know? Yeah. <sighs> like they're, like they're twin flames. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Like they're the same person. <sighs> yeah. That's a great explanation of why that, that lyric <laughs> hits so deeply. <laughs> oh, and boy, does it. it. It really hits me too. Um, and then, yeah, there's something that she uses in a lot of her previous songs that she brings back for this one, which is the quiet, intimate version of the chorus before it explodes into the most filled out version of the chorus. Um, and that's, again, on the lyrics. Uh, and I never saw you coming. Um, and another one of my favorite parts of the song is that when all the instruments come back in, you have this gigantic drum fill. And when she lands on, and I'll never be the same, the chord actually changes a little bit. You expect it to be this basic E major chord that you've been hearing throughout the song, but it's uh, now in the first inversion. So that means the middle of the chord is now basically the bottom note of the chord. So that sounds like, and I'll never be the same. Um, so it's more unstable. It's the same, but it's changed from where it was in the beginning. And again, you were talking about how her, her voice is uh, ethereal and taking us higher. And this is another one of those moments where it feels... Um, elevated just by that a, a simple shift in the inversion of the chord and then we get the part emily was talking about which was absolutely just incredible to me where these three hooks that she's established come together to work all at the same time and it's the um um oh 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 and the um and i never saw you coming that part and the third one is the so you were never a saint and i loved and shades all wrong and these are all sort of going at the same time and what this reminded me of mm, not totally in the in the traditional sense was this idea of hocket which is a compositional technique it's all the way back to the medieval time period where a melody is divided between three or so voice parts. So when one voice is resting, another one is filling the gap. It's kind of what you see here where when one of the uh, hooks is singing, another one is resting and they fill in they fill in each other's gaps. So the, so you were never a saint is hitting all of the beats, whereas the, uh, oh. Oh, 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 is hitting the off beats. And then you have this connecting line of the, of the normal chorus to sort of layer on top and glue it all together. It's just, it's just incredible. <laughs> She's incredible. Lastly, why this song it hits so hard for me is that it, it could encompass so many different emotional states. Like it could be about the feeling of falling in love again, or it could be about reminiscing on a past relationship. Just it's it's just specific and also vague enough to encompass any time your emotional state is elevated into romanticize that turmoil. I have this hot Taylor take that I think she's like a modern day Shakespeare. I don't know if if you all have heard this like the thing that they say nowadays when you're studying Shakespeare for like why is Shakespeare so great? is that he is like a really multifaceted writer and like he inhabits the full emotions of, of every character that he's writing for. Mm. So it's like, if they prick us, do we not bleed? Like he's writing, like, it's like, that's the classic example is like in Merchant of Venice, he's writing this really deeply anti-Semitic work, but then he also writes this like really heartrending, like soliloquy or monologue about like what it's like to be discriminated against. And it's like, how did he do that? You know what I mean? And it's because he fully inhabits the characters that's kind of the idea 
the emotional state of the characters. Taylor yes. Swift does this too. And that's exactly what you're talking about is like she, what she does is so specific and so pointed. And then it's also so all encompassing of just the human experience of having emotions. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And now I'm just thinking maybe Taylor Swift is Shakespeare, just like this um, oh, for sure. uh, uh, immortal being of heartbreak and retellings of Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> no, that's a, that's a fantastic point. She just like fully embodies these these stories, even when, as we've seen in the past, they're not they're not always her. Like even with 15, that's that's her friend's stories. But it's so, you know, she puts her whole heart into it. Well, because existence is we exist in archetypes, you know, and so she's keyed into that aspect of existence, of reality, of relationships is that it, it's a pattern that can be, I don't know, mimicked or, or created upon in so many different ways. Yeah, that's fantastic way of saying that. <laughs> that just gave me a galaxy brain moment that I wasn't even in, ready for. And I'm like <laughs> now just still processing. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about our title track, Red. Um, and I just thought this was such a perfect blend of pop and country. That's exactly what I wrote down. When you were talking about the first track, State of Grace, having this kind of blending of her forms of the genres she's been working in, um, it really stood out to me. I figured out it's my sweet spot of like country-sounding music um, because it really does have so much of the essence and the sentiment of her earlier albums and you feel this, you know, genuine storytelling that's been prevalent in all of her albums up until now. And then you get that extra, I feel like in a way it's like, there's so much obviously like metaphor or simile in this song. And I feel like mm. it so well fits in to this like song that's not just the country storytelling, the country narrative of like what happened, which I feel like was so, it was also first person, like this is my journey with this one person and here's how it ended up. And she gets into this abstract language of love is like this and hating you is like this. And there's these, just these huge ideas that I feel like aren't really able to be captured in just this one genre that she's been working with. And so this blending of the genres in this larger language, this larger view of the world and of relationships, I felt was so satisfying for me listening to it. Absolutely, absolutely. And country is definitely yeah. known for its very literal storytelling, its uh, its origins in folklore, I guess. <laughs> let's, just, let's say folklore. <laughs> um, and, and whereas pop is rooted in these broader, like, sing-along choruses, very general yeah, ideas. And this absolutely. is, like, so not only sonically is it marrying those two genres, but now she's creating her own unique twist of the intimate literal storytelling and then more conceptual metaphor and simile. Yeah. But yeah, I was really taken in. Of course, she still has this banjo, but it's also accompanied by things like this stuttering vocal effect that we haven't seen before. Uh, and that's on the hook, the and it totally reminded me of things you'd hear more from an artist like Lady Gaga and something like poker face. Do we like that? Do you think she pulls it off? I kind of think she doesn't. I think you're totally right, Daniel, that yeah, you're like it's it's something that reminds you of of a different style of music or or of a different kind of artist, and she's she tries it out. I just I to me I'm like I don't buy that. <laughs> you're saying it's ultimately not for her. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think again this is her trying on uh, 
trying on different things album and she just she fully commits hats. to it even if it um even if it doesn't work on her to me it's it's like you know i'm too close to the case on this one for even say like how else the song <laughs> should have gone like i guess i could see a version of the song where it was cut out or maybe it was an instrumental solo but to me she pulls it off and this was definitely one of the songs when it came out back in 2012 that was like an immediate favorite um to me it almost reminded me of like <laughs> i was gonna get me dragged but like it reminded me of like oh this is like a, a, a more grown-up version of like the pop country here on hannah montana <laughs> like that's what it reminded me of <laughs> that's not a bad take actually I was like, Taylor Swift at this point is just like a socially acceptable version of Hannah Montana. <laughs> I'm actually into that. They both have a song called If This Was a Movie, essentially, or If yeah, This yeah, yeah. Were a Movie. Yeah, yeah. If oh, or If We Were, were a if Movie. Hannah Montana is If We Were a Movie. And then hers was... Um, know that song? Yeah, If this if You Were a Movie, You'd Be movie, Here right now. Be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bonus track. We didn't yeah. get that one, but totally... Um, and I think they both are artists, Miley and Taylor are artists that it's like came out at a very similar time and we attached to them because we sort of grew up at the same time with them and watched them evolve as they were growing up and making the same mistakes that we were making. Um, so it's not a far off comparison. <laughs> but, I love um, it. Uh, I don't know, Rafe, what did you, what did you think about this song? I don't know why, but I particularly liked the line "faster than the wind, passionate as sin." Yeah, lots of internal rhyme too, with the the passionate as sin, that like mm, is sound. Absolutely, it has a very a very classic Taylor bridge with the like change of the um, uh, accents. Yes, and I really like the last chorus where sort of the guitar cuts out and you just get like the drum hits on certain parts of it um are you talking about at the very end when it's like the last like losing him was blue that is a good part though i mean that is it's that's a bob a, that's a good it's a banging part. part yes what i really liked are the multiple uses of strings throughout the song um in the chorus we have this like shuddering counterpoint after she sings loving him was red we have this we have this like huge ensemble strings doing this shuddering counterpoint and that's in contrast to something like in the second verse where she says memorizing all the words to your old favorite song we have uh, just a solo violin and to me that in my brain connected back to her song from her first album our song which is in fact based on just a solo violin creating this hook and how that was about crafting sort of a song out of a relationship mm. really nice tie-in and then getting into um the, the second chorus after she sings wishing you never found out love could be that strong we have this giant unpitched swell of strings that sounds like it could be it sounds like it could be from a horror movie it sounds like it could be like <laughs> some abstract penderecki composition but it's like her realizing just how uh horrifying and powerful um love truly can be and then getting into the end of the song we have another fantastic outro that was a little bit reminiscent of the outro of Mine from her last album. Um, when she, as she's singing these, that's why he's spinning around in my head. We have these um, yeah ad-libs, which expand on the falling in love idea that I've talked about in her past albums, where she sort of works her way down the scale to represent the feeling of falling in love. For example, in Fearless, we've had this walk down from the fifth scale degree to the first. Um... Cause I don't know how it gets better. 
get the idea. Um, and mine, we have, after she says, I'll never leave you alone. Um, and that's in the backing vocals. And here we have her biggest, most complicated one yet. So it takes up pretty much the entire scale. Uh, um, and it takes up almost the entire scale and it doesn't quite make it all the way to the bottom. It's a little bit unresolved and it's also, it sort of builds in her idea of what it feels like to fall in love where it's a little bit more complicated. It's not a direct route and it's not always resolved in the end. Um, mm -hmm. And as we get into this fantastic outro when she expands on her thesis or really states her thesis for the album. Uh, so the lyrics are, that's why he's spinning around in my head, comes back to me in burning red. And that's really what we'll see in this album where it's not such a cohesive beginning to end of the relationship. It's just this hodgepodge of uh, emotions. It's all the most um, heightened emotional things from this relationship. And it's not always super cohesive, but sometimes we're going from like the deepest heartbreak and then you remember like the most exciting, most romantic part of the relationship. It's all like just as alive in your mind and all swirling around. And um, I think that's stated as a title track. I think the states the thesis of the album quite well. You were saying earlier State of Grace could be about a relationship that's ended or a relationship that's still going. Mm -hmm. But with Red, and I think throughout the rest of the album, we find that it's about a relationship that's over. I don't... That's dumb. <laughs> that's a dumb thing to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a breakup song, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the point that Sadie uh, is kind of trying to make is that since the entire relationship is in the past, all of like the best parts of it, all of the worst parts of it, they're all equally alive in memory and they could all equally come back to you with as powerful emotions. So in one moment, you might be super angry at this person and in another moment, you might be really in, like you might be like, oh God, I, I still hold a candle for them. So like even though State of Grace kind of encompasses a lot of emotions, like it could really be any part of a relationship. The rest of it, yes, it's over, but that doesn't mean that she's like done processing it or done like, it's sort of changing just in the way that she reflects on the on the relationship. The nature of the relationship changes, um, or maybe that's not what you're saying at all. I don't. No, want to I think that's kind of what I'm saying. There's. Has anyone read Mrs. Dalloway? I don't think I have. In it's a Virginia Woolf novel, and Mrs. Dalloway. There's this amazing line about how it's about part of it is it's this woman who's married and and sort of older, and she comes into contact with an old flame of hers from childhood named Peter. And there's this amazing line where she says like the memories of Peter come back to her gently without the old bitterness. Hmm. Isn't that beautiful? That's it's beautiful. not really relevant. I mean, it's relevant. No, to it's, this. A... it's relevant to what you're saying. You know, that's totally true. It's like, I am, I am myself now. I am myself who I was when I'm with you, you know, everything. Ends. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, that's a beautiful sentiment. And let's talk about the more um, dangerous sides of these uh, heightened emotions and, and get into the song Treacherous. I would just like to say, I just loved, we have all the this slope is treacherous is, and then this hope is treacherous. Yeah. That was so well done. It was yes. set up beautifully. I was so... It's like, I was going through it, I was like, yeah, this is that song on the album that is like, I shouldn't like this, but I do. But I was like, no, no, no. It's so much more than that. It has this, like, extra layer of... It's about, like, it's not just the person who is, like, the danger. It's, like, the 
the attraction in another sense, the the belief in like being like, oh, this could this could be good, this could be something. It's just it's just so layered, and I just thought that that keeping that rhyme intact and landing that extra word, extra change was just so well done and so impactful in this song. Yes, absolutely, and it also changes the um. This daydream, I believe, is reckless. yeah. This daydream is dangerous. Dangerous, yeah, and and it's that's beautiful. That's beautifully put. That sentiment, right there. Yes, absolutely, and it kind of yeah. contrasts like, mm, like the slope. Like I don't know, kind of like slope, like falling versus hope. Yeah, it's like oh, a rising yes, idea. It's like the slope. It's like what is the slope? It's like is the slope going down or is the slope going up? It's like there is this hope that you'll just keep finding and you'll just keep going on this uphill battle yes or, or do you feel like you're just going to like keep like sliding away like out of control there's in the, in the imagery of the slope it really does as you were just saying daniel like contextualize so much you know yes and in the greater context of the album it's like even more tragic that is followed up with this i knew you were trouble that like the fall from this slope but um yeah yeah i totally hear that and it's like like i said in other songs it's like this is a moment which didn't have to give us new lyrics. She would have been perfectly fine repeating. Right. But like what, what heightens her songwriting is the fact that she's always willing to go in and give us a brand new lyric in this moment to just tweak it a little bit. <laughs> it's like not just like, oh, here is the idea of this of this song. It's like, here is the story I'm going to tell. And I will tell that with the lyrics mm-hmm. that are needed to mm-hmm. tell this story. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so glad you pointed that out. That's like one of my favorite parts, too. Um, Sadie, what were you going to say? Yeah. Oh, oh, I wasn't. I was just reacting to how much I love this song and how excited I am that Emily also loves it. Um, well, why do you love it? It's, I mean, what, Treacherous by Taylor Swift. <laughs> I mean, for all these reasons you're talking about, like, I love a narrative. I love a story. We all like, of course, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm talking about the album Red with you guys. But yeah. um, this one really sort of like hooks into you. And I think it we were talking about twin fire signs for blue eyes about this, like feeling of deep intimacy when you're, when you're close to someone alone with someone. And, and this song really hooks into that in a, in a deeper and more perverse way or, or a more hopeful one. And it's an amazing elucidation of the theme. Well, she's, she's played with intimacy a lot in the past. And to me, I compare this to enchanted because that's also a song that sort of plays with the sense, uh, the senses, and in Enchanted she sings, your eyes whisper how we met in here. She sings, I'll do anything you say if you say it with your hands. So it's that same kind of mismatching of the senses and intimacy, but now it's also with this uh, much more um, adult meaning layered in, and it feels much more mature in many ways. Um, so it's like intimate, not just with like these very childlike mm, fantasy emotions. It's, uh, mm, let's just say she's, Embodying, she's embodying all of the the, the meaning of the word uh, intimacy. <laughs> Wait, Rafe, do you like treacherous? Please, God, please tell me you like I, treacherous. You I have do to. Do like treacherous? I do. I like it. I think it's a very classic Taylor intro. I think she does really quite a lot with her vocal performance of this. Um, yes, she has this this almost i've written moan adjacent um hmm. moan adjacent mine on the, it's like the first in the first line and then and then of course the whisper on like touch and it's just it's very immediately very like a um she's bringing in another sort of tactile um i mean it's obviously an auditory experience but a tactile experience with 
her performance of those mm. lines. Um, yeah. I, w- I was very struck by a few of the lines. Um, one, I can't decide if it's a choice. Getting, Getting swept, swept away. away. Yeah, and then skin and bone trained to get along. I feel like she's really talking about a lot of, like, um, sort of this idea of, like, well, what does it mean to, like, be interested in someone and, like, how much of this am I creating and how much of this have I been, like, trained to do by, mm-hmm. you know, by my society, by myself, by et cetera, et cetera. But, like, regardless of what's ha- wh- why I'm doing it, I am here. And so I, I feel like she does this very interesting balance of the very tactile mm-hmm. and immediate experiences that she gives with her vocal performance of it. And then also this very sort of heady, uh, you know, why, why am I even doing this? Like what, what does it mean for me to even be interested in someone? Totally. Totally. And it plays on the, her somatically cinematic leanings that she's used in the past where, but it's more like they're, they're, they're players in, in a movie or or a game that they can't even control. Like, is, is this predestined? Am am I even control Uh of Uh my own actions at this point? When you all listen to this song, does it seem to you that it's about infidelity or not? To me, I hear it as feeling these very intense emotions for somebody. And they're so intense, you know that this is only going to end in, let's say, negatively intense emotions. But it's also like, I can't help myself, but like, I need to see where this is going to go. And I just, it's so intense that I just need to be with this person, no matter what all the other signs in the world are telling me totally. to do. Um, (laughs) like I know, I know it's going to end a heartbreak. I know this is bad for me, but I just have to be with this person. They're like the other half of me. They're like my, they're my mirror. Like you're saying, they're my reflection. They're my, they're my twin flame. And it's like, no matter how, if I burn out that like, I, I will see this to the end. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about, right? That feeling of, of, of losing complete control over yourself. And that's such an, that's such an interesting aspect of love you know, such a, such a dangerous one. <sighs> yes. yes oh, Taylor, every time. Um, it's another example of her use of a one note melody. So for example, you know, this slope is treacherous. She's basically saying on that F sharp in the key of D. And this stands out compares and compared to her other uses of the technique. It's on the third of the chords, so it's in the middle. Whereas other times, uh, it would be either the root or the fifth, these more mm, stable parts of the chord. So you can compare that to even the last song in red, you know, she stays right on. Um, and that's why he's spinning and round in my head. She's like staying right on that root. Or um, in our song, she sings, our song is a slam of screen door. It's sneaking out late. She stays on the on the fifth. But here in the middle of the chord, it's a little bit unstable. It doesn't know like which direction it wants to go. It's kind of um, as she's staying on that, as the chords shift around her, it creates these really beautiful tensions. So this slope is treacherous. This daydream is reckless. It like whatever the lyrics are, she keeps changing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As she stays on the middle of the chord, it doesn't always, like, match. It doesn't always necessarily fit in with the chords as they're shifting, and sometimes there's, like, more tension, and you don't know, like, if if she's going to fall off this, like, slope that she's creating. And the melody keeps wavering in one direction or another, either towards the root or the fifth. So, for example, this slope is treacherous. It keeps getting closer to that root position treacherous or in comparison she sings 
This daydream is reckless. And it could it gets closer to the fifth is reckless. So she's kind of caught between these two resolutions, but she's wavering in the middle. She doesn't know which way it's going to go. But currently, as it stands, she's in this place of tension and unresolved danger. And okay, I just I have one more uh, one more like quick note. So um, the bridge opens into this uh the bridge being the um two headlights shine in the sleepless night. That part it like opens into this wash of emotional wails, and this is uh another part that I connected to Enchanted. It's sort of like at, at the bridge of Enchanted, you have uh in the background she's singing, "Please don't be in love with someone else," and in the middle you have her just sort of ad libbing. Um, and here you have it inverted. So now the whales are pushed to the sides and her words are in the center. And my favorite moment is when she loses the ability to finish the sense, the sentence, I like it. And these I, I, I's, she's repeating it more and more and it becomes more of an ah sound until that I becomes one of these wordless whales that we've been, uh, hearing in the background to tie together the, the theme that like these backing vocals are not just like there to be pretty, but it's like to encapture the sense that she has lost the ability to even finish her sentence to like put what she's saying down into words that it's just like this emotion that she's experiencing and that she's going to try and put that out through her song regardless of like putting words to it. That's my favorite um, place. I live I live in that place. <laughs> I don't think this song is really going to describe a relationship that feels healthy. Let's just say that. <laughs> is there such a thing as a healthy relationship? I think those are all sort of myths. <laughs> I certainly don't have any examples in my life to pull from. Let's just say that. Do any of us? No, we're fine. <laughs> oh, I, w- I would not say that we're fine. But um, I would say that we might even be in trouble. So on that note, let's look at the fallout from these kinds of relationships. Um, with the song, I Knew You Were Trouble. Yes! <laughs> just like... Oh, what a what a jarring turn of events. But it slaps, you know? I feel like the drops are very exciting. Like, I... I you know, you you can't help but but to appreciate the um, the vibes, um, and I really like the processing that they do on her voice throughout the song, but especially on the trouble, trouble, trouble. It almost sounds like they've just like taken the recording and like tripled it, maybe, and like offset each one a little bit, so it sounds like a little shuddery and a little um... like phasing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a little bit of that, and I think they might have taken some mm. of the, the, the bass out, so it's just treble, treble, treble. Mm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Emily, what did you think? Do you think she pulls it off, the genre? Do you think she pulls it off? It's, it's I feel like it's a little hard to say. No, well, just the fact that, for the most part, I'm going on into all of these Taylor Swift songs, hearing them for the first time, but because I heard this for so long and so this has been one of the few songs that I stick with as my first impression of Taylor Swift it's kind of hard it's almost like this is what I knew before like listening to Speak Now and Fearless and so in my mind the song is just so synonymous with Taylor Swift when I think of her that I don't know well I saw Sadie shaking her head at her pulling it off so what are your thoughts absolutely not this song sucks and anyone who likes it absolutely not sucks (laughs) This is not good. It's not good Tay Swift. And I think if we're coming upon anything, it's that, like, I think you're totally right. This is Taylor does pop. Taylor's like, I'm all in. Balls to the wall. Let's see what comes out. We're going to do it this way. 
And it's like, no, but that's not you, Taylor, because as we've established, you're genreless. So don't get in there. Like, <laughs> stay out of the weeds. I think it's very interesting um, that in all of the, like, pop singles on this album, she she seems very self-aware, especially in 22 and in We're Never Getting Back Together. Because, like, I mean, we'll get into it later, but with lines like, who even is Taylor Swift? Um, and like, um, I feel like she does something else in We're Never Getting Back Together. Some indie record that's much cooler than mine. <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly the one. Um, I just feel like she's a little bit self-aware, and so it's like it. It maybe makes it okay that she's like, even if they're no, even if they're. <laughs> You don't think so? She doesn't have an ironic bone in her body. Are you joking? It's like, it's all leading up. But she's saying, she's saying this is not, she's acknowledging that it's not like her vibe. Do you know what I mean? Okay, but yeah, well, but (laughs) she's being like, she's being like, to me, it sounds, (laughs) it's sonically, it's like the fall from the innocence of youthful country to this like jaded, dark pop. And she's in an emotional place that she has a dark pop, jaded dark pop. <laughs> it's an experiment, okay? Sadie, <laughs> Sadie, I have a question. Do you not think that Taylor Swift is at all self-aware, especially in her later albums, more pop sound? Not attractive. It's not like an attractive. I don't like it. <laughs> it's yeah. She wears the coat, but she doesn't she wear it well. She does it, and when exactly. she does it, I don't want it. Well, exactly. Exactly how I feel. I think there's some really cool things in this song. Uh, I personally like the shifting instrumentation of the chorus. For example, the first time she sings this, because I knew you were trouble. It's like before the big dubstep drop, it's in like this more quiet instrumentation. But the second time that comes around, it's um, right on the drop. And it's a really interesting way of using the same lyrics twice, but setting them in different emotions. And the first time it's more morose, more mournful. And the second time I feel like she's a lot more bitter and spitting out the lyrics in, in, in an ironic manner. And I also really like the the bridge when she sings, when the saddest fear comes creeping in and you get these big 808 drops to emulate when you're sort of like, your heart, your stomach just like drops with this heavy realization. And we've had this sort of drops before to, to signify realization for example, the timpani in Last Kiss, but now it's uh, retooled into this pop packaging. Um, and this bridge was also accompanied by the sound of a piano played in reverse. And that's a technique that they'll use a few times in this album to signify every time she's going back over these old memories in a new light. And so she's like realizing that he never actually loved her. And the piano is like playing backwards as she realizes, oh my gosh, this wasn't what I thought it was at, at all. Wait, am I dumb? What do you mean by the piano playing backwards? Like strings out? So, yeah, that's a great, great question. If you play a piano and then digitally you take the sound and reverse it. So the waveform is literally backwards. That's the sound that's accompanying her on this uh, when the sad sphere comes creeping in. Oh, I get it. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really cool. I hope that makes me want to like listen to this song again. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it like kind of plays into her going back over those old memories, and then it like, you know, if if she's before she was in a state of grace, this encompasses her fall from grace. <laughs> um, I think the goat video is really funny. That is an enduring classic as well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the true enduring classic of the album, our track five, "All Too Well." Um, who's ready to cry? It's just too much, you know. 
It's like that thing of what is the line in Hamilton where it's like they're going through the unimaginable. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I've written I don't care for this song. <laughs> you heartless. I like. I know, that, I know we're I, in mixed company, but Rachel, have you ever? Do you think you've ever been heartbroken? I like two of the lines. No, 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 Rape, Have you ever been heartbroken? <laughs> have you ever had your heart broken? Yes. I saw it. It's some nice lyrics, I guess. I like a narrative. I really like the fridge light moment. I think that's very evocative, dancing in the fridge light. Um, yeah. And I really I really do like the um, crumpled piece of paper because I think it's also like a very interesting parallel to what she's talking about in terms of like this record of their relationship. And so to like say the crumpled piece of paper, it's like the 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 record of their relationship is is also crumpled. So I, I do appreciate the song in many ways, but I think ultimately... I don't think I you appreciate bored. it enough. <laughs> bored? Bored! Uh. Emily, I want to hear what you all have to say. <laughs> I love the lyrics in this song. Mm-hmm. It's just all of the imagery, and particularly at the end... When she says, um, but you keep my old scarf from that very first week because it reminds you of innocence and it smells like me. And just how neither of them remember it all too well. And it's such a, a beautiful, like, it's again, it's like Taylor Swift didn't have to add that part in. She could just yeah. go on listing all of the things that she'll remember forever. But there is this other side that she taps into, which in a way makes it all the more painful that both parties have this lingering and this sadness. And it's it's over and it's done, but it's just it's just still so alive in, in both of their hearts and their minds. And that's just something that they're both going through separately right now. Yeah. No, don't talk, Ray. This is a Shakespeare moment. No, this what I want to say, no, yes. I was going to say that I was going to say that unfortunately in originally I was like, mm, I'm not feeling the scarf thing. And then you said it just now. And I was reminded of a time when I, in fact, kept someone's clothing and did that very thing. Um, so I guess egg on my face. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> this is what I mean when I'm like, I knew your trouble is a bad song. It's like if Taylor Swift can give us all too well, if she can give us that, it's like, why is she giving us like no apologies? He'll never see you cry. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. I mean, like. Why would you want lyrics like this over I Knew Your Trouble, which ultimately is meant to be like a dancey club song? Like you're not trying to be so specific and listening to a, like a storytelling song when you have like dubstep 808 drops, whereas like All Too Well is, you know, it's mm. built on C, which is a key without like any, you know, of the black notes on the piano, out any sharps and flats. So it's very basic, has a basic four chord pattern. And it's like the music is meant to just get out of the way of the lyrics, essentially. Like you're just supposed to be focusing on the lyrics. And that's not something that's happening in I Know You Are Trouble at all. I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. But... There's always time for poetry. That's what I think. See, I think there's always time for poetry, but I I think the poetry that's happening in a song like I Knew Your Trouble is happening in the production, for example, with like the reversal of the piano as she's like going back over her memories and like reevaluating this relationship. I can't believe you've brought up my Achilles heel to back for piano. (laughs) 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 Going for the jugular! (laughs) (laughs) No, but I see, I do see your point. Like, why would you want to be out in the middle of, like, the dance floor in, like, 2013, and then you hear the lyrics, you call me up again just to break me like a promise. Like, I'm not going to be having a good time with my girls anymore. I'm going to go from, like, 
tequila shots to like hard whiskey as soon as I hear that lyric. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a nightly transition that I yearn for. <laughs> right now, so. While I'm painting myself as the villain, um, I don't really like the melody in this song. I feel like it's um, kind of abrasive to me in the breath between up and state but it it happens obviously on every it's like the end of the line and it's like it's an ascending melody lost upstate yeah i don't know why i'm adding it's like this is not helping our conversation (laughs) no it is what i think is cool about the melody is that it's another one where she gets higher and higher as her emotions get higher so you know, she starts on this, um, I walked through the door with you, air was cold. And she's like basically staying on this, like the C, the root of the chord, um, the key. And as she gets higher into the bridge, she, you know, she sings this, maybe we got lost in translation. Maybe I asked for too much. And she switches up to this fifth, which is like the midway point of the scale. And she's like hanging out like halfway to her emotional height. And when she gets to her emotional height, she goes all the way up to this high C on the, well, you call me up again just to break me like a pro. And it's like the height of where the note is, is like the height of her emotions. I think it's really good songwriting. Um, I think there's a lot of great songwriting. And I'm going to tell you why. This whole song is about like where she started the reflection and I I knew you were trouble. And now she's like going back and painting like the happiest memories that she had with this bittersweet shade of blue. And she does that by like incorporating the idea of the literal color red into so many of the lyrics in different ways. So... I particularly like the idea of him uh, running the red where he's like going through the stoplight, but it's also like he's missing out on her passion if he doesn't pay attention. So she also uses this imagery in the lyric about autumn leaves falling down, like pieces into place. Autumn leaves, as we know, like go from green to red and it's a symbol of like vibrance before death, before the end of this relationship. And she even um, talks about his cheeks turning red, like for him, passion is not even necessarily something that's positive. It's embarrassing. It's something that he should, like, he wants to steer away from. These are all memories that, like, have the imagery of red within them, and now she's, like, reinterpreting them with this bittersweet sentiment. Um, This song keeps escalating in a really fantastic way, and by the time we get to the outro, you have these memories coming back faster and faster. You know, she's singing, I was there down the stairs. Like, she's not giving you the whole memory anymore. She's just giving you these snippets as... The memories are sort of falling apart as they're coming faster and faster to her. And she just really breaks down what the phrase all too well means. Because it's something that you could say, like, kind of under the guise of friendliness. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that all too well. But it's like, what does it mean to remember something too well, to remember it too intensely, to wish that you could remember it less, to wish you could just forget that you're, like, stuck in this time and you wish time would pass and that you could just move on from this moment. You know, on on that note, someone said, and I don't know who it was, but I think about this a lot that like the chorus or the all too well section of this song is something that validates that part of you that after a relationship is like convinced that you made it all up or that you were the only person who felt that way. But instead it's like she repeats mm-hmm. over and over. It's like, I was there, like it happened. This is what I have to live with, but I, I didn't like create it. It's not a falsehood that I created in my head. I think that's yeah. like a really beautiful sentiment. And and it, and it even ties into what Emily was saying about like the perspective of the of the, of the partner, because it's like we both remember it. It happened to both of us, and it's not made up. Yeah, it's like you might be pretending like you don't know me anymore, or that this didn't happen. But like I was there. I know that I was feeling these things, and I know you were feeling them too. And I know in your head that you must also be remembering it too intensely. Like you can't just pretend that this thing never happened because I was there. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. 
All right. Well, on to another song that Rafe hates. 22. Tell us, Rafe, why do you hate 22? <laughs> My thoughts on 22, the song, are that it's a very relatable concept. And, um, like, especially in re, like, miserable and magical, like, the whole idea of being kind of young and um, full of sort of simultaneous dread about the future and also joy in the fact that we are you know young and very free to do kind of whatever without it having too much consequence um but at the same time I wasn't sure that this was exactly the musical medium through which I would express that emotion or rather um perhaps I'm in the place in my life where I'm feeling more of the like melancholic aspect of the of the sentiment than I am of the sort of party sentiment you just can't blame Taylor for not knowing about COVID. It's no, like I know. know. Um, obviously, like, it's effective in that it did evoke the idea of, like, sublimity to me. You know, the sublime, like, something so totally. so captivating and beautiful um, of this, like, moment where you're, like, we're just so young and, like, can do whatever and you're standing on this precipice of life and also, you know, whatever. The, the... <laughs> The exact vibe of this song wasn't what I would think of when I thought of those things. I did really like her uh, self-reflexive, who's Taylor Swift anyways, um, moment, kind of just acknowledging the fact that she's kind of branching into her own genre. Um, so as to say, like, who is Taylor Swift anyways? As like, what, what, what's she even doing? Emily, how did, how did you feel? like 22 and primarily for this reason if you recall i gave a very uh impassioned defense of aging uh when we were discussing never grow up and i really appreciate that this song is just very joyful and it's like yeah we're young we're 22 like literally anything could happen we're we're just living our lives and it does like recognize that there is obviously a lot still going on in so many people's lives and even if it's just you know if its intention is to be more of a party song more of a like a something just to dance to that it's fun I do appreciate that the sentiment is we're all so young anything can still happen it's okay we're having fun amidst our lives um, and so for that reason I appreciate the song a lot yeah and it's like they're not even like oh we get to do this because we are 22 it's just like i am feeling like i am 22 so it's like an emotion that you could tap into at theoretically any age it's not my favorite yeah. but i'm 23 now okay i find this to be a very divisive sigh and i have a hypothesis of as to why um and it, it's there's a lot of things that it's like either you love that she's using this or you're going to take great offense at it and the first of all it's like as we've talked about, these vignettes are more similar to scenes from, like, a coming-of-age movie like Perks of Being a Wallflower than Taylor's typical country lore. And it's like, is this genuine to her? Is this, like, trying too hard to, like, pander to millennials? Or is it just like, yeah, I also want to be dancing on tabletops and doing all those things and you don't really have any criticism with it? You know, I think this is actually a really good point because... I think what is grating to me about this song mm -hmm. is that I, I actually disagree with you, Rafe, that it like taps into like anything deep about the sensation of being young. I wasn't saying that it was. I mean, I think I just think 
it just made me sure. think about it. And that's what I was saying in terms of like, I feel like it's discordant that it's what it is because I don't feel that it actually is evoking mm-hmm. what I want it to evoke. No, and I, um, so yeah, maybe we you know agree. I mean? So go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I yeah. think we've it is all, pandering. We've, made this, we've all made ultimately. this huge deal about how Taylor Swift is like the bard of our time and she can embody any any feeling or, or any state of mind and, and express it in a really beautiful way. But this might be, this song might be one of the exceptions and, you know, that's fine. We all have days, have off days. It's like she read one John Green novel and was like, that's the story <laughs> I'm telling. Totally. <laughs> totally. Um, um, there's some other things that are like, pulling from a very specific time period, let's just say. And the first of which being the incorporation or maybe even just like a tip of the hat to the millennial whoop, which was at the beginning of the 2010s, this vocal hook that was an alternation between the the third and the fifth of your tonic chord to create this sing-along hook. And this could be heard most prominently in a song like California Girls on the... California girls and she incorporates that same alternation on the 22 or um I gotta have you so it's it's a very um, dated sound and it is very like this is what's on the radio now and you're either going to love it or you're gonna be like Taylor this this isn't you why are we taking somebody else's vocal hook (laughs) and in terms of taking things that aren't necessarily yours for the taking, the thing that stood out to me most in this song was the guitar in the chorus. And that had a that had a little bit of history to me. This guitar that you hear in the chorus is very rhythmic and it is a little bit muted. And this um, style of guitar playing was popularized by uh, Jimmy Nolan of the James Brown band back in the 60s. And usually it's called chicken scratch guitar. And it usually included the ninth. Then it is a very rhythmic way of playing the guitar without any of the resonance. You literally choke the neck of the guitar so that the notes don't resonate. And it's very soulful. You can hear it in songs like Pop Has Got a Brand New Bag. And over time, it, you know, is used in all sorts of genres. Uh, This song actually reminded me of the guitar at the beginning of the Jackson 5's I Want You Back. And... To me, it's like this, you know, the song, that sort of sound has been around for now, like 50, 60 years, and it's been sort of reappropriated into white pop music, let's say. And you might hear that and be like, oh, this is like a tip of the hat to something that's like more soulful, reminds me of like fun songs like I Want You Back. Or you might be like, oh, this is her copying a sound and then you don't even get the best realization of this old tradition of guitar playing and in this song like you don't even get like the full ninth chord you just get like basically the one note that the guitar is playing on it's essentially it's like this song is picking and choosing from different mm, different creators and putting it together in her own package and like you might think that's really fun that she's being paying homage to those other creators or you might just see it as disingenuous Mm -hmm. for me that's why literally like sometimes i love the song if i'm in the right mood and then sometimes i'm like this just feels so artificial it feels very Mm -hmm. mm, like it was created in a lab and not like it was created with any sort of heart i'm with you i think we're all with you great and i just have to say before i move on this for me is the most dramatic shift of the album like i truly cannot handle her going from all too well to 22 that is the 
terrible transition. Like I was just <laughs> sobbing, and now you want me to go to like the most bubblegum pop song of the album. Like I'm not emotionally there. And she plays Whiplash for this entire thing because it's like I knew your trouble into all too well into 22, and then back down again for another like downer with I almost do. So it's like. I understand the concept of the album is like all these memories are swirling around in her head and she doesn't know where she's going to land. But as a listener, it's a very jarring experience. And I feel like it does the songs disservice for them not to be put in a cohesive manner. And this is especially where that stands out for me. But anyways, moving on to the next ballad of the album, I almost do. And this to me is like a classic Taylor return to form. It could easily be off of speak now. Um, Mm -hmm. The only thing is that instead of like biting her tongue as a sign of insecurity or immaturity, like now she's biting her tongue because she's more mature. She knows like there's nothing truly left to add to this relationship and that she should not be speaking now. (laughs) This was not my favorite. The idea that I think she's getting across here is not as intriguing. It's a lot more, it's just, I feel the least amount of connection between the people in the story. Um, and just by the nature of all of the supposing she's doing about the situation because she's distancing herself from it. Um, it's just kind of hard for me to get into this one as much and to get into the narrative. Um, there's just not as, not as clear of an arc, which I think is just kind of an aspect of, the theme of the song. And so there's just kind of like a disconnect for me there. Um, that was kind of my biggest takeaway from this one. Um, I thought I was relating it back to back to December. I, I found it a little bit relatable in, in sort of almost going through with texting someone or, or almost going through with reaching out to someone, but just ultimately deciding that it's either like too much work to like start that or it would just be like too much it would just be too much to go into it. I mean, I feel like her her sentiment is more that it's like she can't bring herself to or... or... I don't know. To me, it was like she knows it's not a smart idea to even carry on. Yeah, right. Exactly. It would just be too chaotic for her to, to start. Um, but, the, but the sentiment is like... I, I wish I could let you know that I like am thinking about you despite the fact that I continue to not do anything about it. I think this song we were talking about in Treacherous about how so often in the heat of a relationship, you feel like you've lost all your agency. Right. And so this is a a follow up to that, which is like, I'm out of that and I can like take control over what happens with myself, with like my body, with my relationship. And I think that's a really cool well, it's also kind of like she's saying, you know, I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking of you quite a lot, actually. And I bet you are, too. But it's more like, I hope you're thinking of me as much as I am. Otherwise, this is just really sad for me that you're not even thinking about me anymore. Kind of like the same way as All Too Well. And Sadie's yeah, dead. Totally. Sadie's dead, actually. <laughs> I, I prefer like in the bridge where she... Um, is building up on this five chord, which normally leads us back to our one chord of the key. Um, so she's on this, and I almost do, and you think it's going to lead back to this like home key, but it kind of just falls back to a four chord. So it's like she's building up these emotions and then pulling herself back, and, and that sounds like, and I almost do, and I just want to tell you, and 
she like doesn't let herself fully resolve it. She doesn't let herself take it all the way home, essentially. All right, moving on to the next song. We are never, ever getting back together. We talked about this song a little bit in the introduction, and I feel it's very true that it, it almost feels like this kind of character or caricature of Taylor, um, this mm. like pop-like um, persona that she's created that's singing the song. Um, as I said before, and I know you were trouble, it feels like there's a, and actually in 22 as well, it feels like there's a self-awareness to her caricature which i find very interesting this is not the character that i want like i don't want this character of taylor swift so i feel like it's appealing to me that i see this self-aware quality but what do you mean you don't want it like i don't prefer this like very strong pop glitz vibes to her other music that feels more cohesive with the albums that she's previously put out i don't find it to be an issue. I find it interesting that it feels so strongly like a different character who's performing the songs. Uh. Um, And it feels a little bit self-aware in that, like, putting on of a performance. I Um, have to wonder, these inserts, like, who's Taylor Swift anyway? I wonder if they're, like, even her writing or, like, one of the many collaborators on the song, like, with somebody else like this song is a little like it needs a, a dash of <laughs> self-awareness yeah <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised but um but that means yeah i i like the addition of that i feel like regardless of whether or not it was her initial creation or idea i do feel like it is an aspect that she really embodies like when i think of taylor swift i do think of the referencing and the kind of like tongue-in-cheek like oh I know this is kind of the time when like a lot of Taylor hate starts Mm, and like mm -hmm. kind of like Mm. gets into gear and so I feel like I would be surprised if it was a calculated kind of you know I I see that I'm not appealing to everyone and this is a form of addressing that and still being like but I am a musician singer this is my job career and this is my response to it through my music in a way yeah like you can't make fun of her for being, you know, not a cool indie record if she's already made fun of herself for doing that within the song. Right, right. It's like right. she's beating them to the joke before anyone else can be like, oh, well, even who even cares what Taylor Swift has to say about her relationships? You know, she's like, well, I here I am just on the phone talking to someone about this person I just broke up with, you know? Mm. Yeah. It is a cool transition song. I mean, you start off with that plucky guitar that she's known for and, like, you, again something that she's used before, you can hear her knocking on, like, the wood of the guitar a little bit. And that kind of reminded me of, mm. like, the beginning of the song Speak Now, where it's just, like, she's just on her guitar. You can, like, hear her sort of, like, the, the imperfection in the take. It feels a lot more mm, human. So this song really focuses on a note, which is not in most <laughs> most of the chords that the song uses. So right off the bat, the opening chord of the song is a C major chord with this D in it and this D never leaves the song in the melody or the harmony throughout the entire thing even as like the chords don't necessarily fit it so like as the chords keep shifting it just sort of stays there and it gives you this feeling of something that won't really move on something that can't really resolve it's just stuck there and it's even highlighted in the hook the emphasizes that D even when it's not necessarily a part of that chord and 
to um, sort of better emphasize that feeling of not really being able to move on, the, the producers once again use this reversal of sound technique. So you hear this opening guitar lick and then it's played backwards and then it moves on to the next chord and you hear the beginning of a guitar lick and then it's played backwards. So it gives this boomerang effect of like, you're moving away and then you're coming back to this person. Then you're trying to move away and then you're coming back and you just can't move on. You're stuck there. The notes aren't necessarily gelling. The guitar can't really move on. And it's like right off the bat, there are these really creative composition techniques to tell the story of what she's going to be telling later on in the lyrics. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Stay, yeah. Stay, Stay, which I'm just going to shut my mouth on. <laughs> Everyone's got... favorite. I feel like I'm going back to school with Target. <laughs> I feel like... I seriously, I was about to say, like, is this, like, an ad for insurance or, like, osteoporosis medication? Like, what's yeah. happening? Well, it's, like, mm, she was it's going through the Manic yeah. Pixie Dream Girl lyrics and something, like, 22, and now with, like, this ukulele and the pizzicato strings, she's, like, <laughs> going for the sound. And it just feels so trite. It's, like, royalty-free YouTube yeah. vlogging music, and I'm, like... Well, I was just going to say, there was one moment that stood out to me, and it's just my interpretation, perhaps, but the very end of the song, she laughs. She goes, it's so fun. And in that moment, I was just like, wow, Taylor, I'm really happy that you're able to have fun and make songs and sing as your career. Like, I feel a lot of joy for you in this moment. And and during the whole song, I was like, okay, sure, sure, sure. And I got there, I was like, I don't know. That that got to me. That that was really rewarding to hear. And I and Molly gets happy. it. You two Grinches, and I thought this podcast was only supposed to have one villain. <laughs> you guys don't get it. You don't get it. I was literally just about to say Emily the exact same thing. My favorite moment in this whole song is right at the end when she laughs and she goes, That's so fun. Because it is fun. And maybe <sighs> falling in love is not always like complicated or cool or like interesting. Sometimes it's just fun and it can make you happy. I really responded to the line, I just like hanging out with you. I just like I hanging out with like you. That, like that sentiment. I like the scene with the football helmet. I think that's all right. Yeah. That is funny. Well, yeah. and I think if we're talking about like self-referential Taylor, it's funny because there's a character in to this song as well that is maybe not as clear, but like can it could be the same thing. Like, her saying like, well, I read you should never leave a fight unresolved. It's like, we can, we should talk about it. It's like, that's like a funny thing to say. Probably not something that's like drawn on her own personal experience or maybe, but do you know what I'm saying? This song makes me happy. I think it's an absolute bop. I will not rescind. I support you, Sadie. I agree. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> All right. The last time. A true duet. Actual, like there's an actual separate verse for the duet. It's, it's no, mm. um breathe and I thought that might be greatly appreciated <laughs> mm. I don't particularly like this song shocker I think it's a little overindulgent I like the little like sort of um, I was trying to think of if there's like a musical term for there's like all this pits kind of in the beginning and it it's just feels very like randomized but like a repeated sort of, oh the like the violin about? harmonics I thought they were harmonics maybe Mm-hmm. Those are really, really cool. Yeah. I like the atmosphere that they set. Because it's a duet, I just see so much more potential in the drama of it all and in the build. And I just feel like it doesn't really get to where it could go. I agree. Especially the guitar solo should be like an emotional height. And she's shown us that she could take it there with like State of Grace or even like the guitar solo on Red. And this doesn't feel like it ever releases the amount that it 
needs to. But I did, again, like, in, in comparison to Breathe, I at least like that there's, like, two clear perspectives. Like, one person is on the ground yeah, begging, like, sure. please. This is like, and, like, the title means different things for the two characters in this song, where it's, like, this is the last time I'm going to ask you, and the other person is, like, this is the last time I'm ever going to put up with this kind of behavior. So it at least paints a, an interesting story, but it doesn't bring enough new material for the length that it is. Totally. Okay, well, I'm just going to move on to one of my one of my favorites on the album, Holy Ground. An absolute bop, a bop 100%. of the first order. Oh, top yeah. tier bop. I love this one, uh, which probably comes as no surprise. Um, this and State of Grace for me, I listened to both of them again. Um, and nice. it's just very well constructed and just so interesting to listen to. And I love the orchestration. Ugh, it's just It's just a good one. Yeah, I agree. I really like the line, the story has dust on every page, because um, I feel like it really acknowledges kind of something that we were talking about in other albums, Taylor's referencing of fairy tale romances. And, and again, I, I guess this is another example of a sort of self-referential line in her song, but it's nice to have the acknowledgement of like, yeah, I know this story is like kind of as old as time, mm-hmm. but like... I'm 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 still sort of living it. So yeah. it also brought um, me back to um the song, the story of us. Mm, it's like she's already mm. flipped through these pages before. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It still feels like every time you go down that road, it feels so fresh, and I think it captures that rush of emotions. Like right off the bat, you have this rush of lyrics as the emotions like come over you, and then like the chorus is like this eye. This, like, it's the calm in the eye of the storm when she's singing you know, right there where we stood as if everything is wild and crazy and falling to pieces around her, but like in that one spot, they're safe and everything is calm. That's one of those moments, I, I remember that I promised early on in this episode to track my moments of ethereal Taylor floating above us all, mm. and I didn't do it in any of the other <laughs> songs, mm. but I would like to point it out in that exact moment, I think that's like a really good example of it. It's like everything drops away and you're just floating. Yeah. I think this song is, like, such a flex. What I really love is that she sings, back when you fit my poems, like, a perfect rhyme, and leading up to that point, all of the rhymes are perfect rhymes, and then after that point, the the rhymes get, like, less and less of a perfect rhyme. Mm. After that, she sings, and I guess we fell apart in the usual way, and the story's got dust on every page, and way and page aren't actual. Mm. They're, like, they're imperfect rhymes, and everything after that, like, it falls apart. Yeah, exactly, and everything, like, past that lyric gets more and more of a slant rhyme. Like, it's so clever. She's a craftress. Right, and even on the, back when you fit my poems like a perfect rhyme, took off faster. That's even this tea drop that we've talked about a few times. Like, she's once again putting her little signature on it. And I just think it's, like, a really unique sentiment that we get from her. Normally, she's pretty bitter about old relationships, but this is, like, she's come to a place where she can appreciate the joy that she got from those memories and no longer be mad at that person and it's like maybe we're friends now maybe we're not but it's like i'm i'm glad that we got to go through all of that together um and it kind of it brings me back to like state of grace where she sings we're alone with her changing minds and how the nature of the Mm. relationship can evolve as her as her memory of it evolves and matures yeah and and then at the end similar to state of grace we get these like three hooks coming together in a really satisfying way with where we have the um, oh, 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 um, and the tonight I'm gonna dance for all that we've been through. And lastly, these backing vocalists from the bridge singing ooh, 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 
And together that sounds like... So just like you saw in State of Grace, these three parts are coming together almost in this Hockett style to lock together like pieces of a puzzle. Well, it's funny, Daniel, that you're finding so many parallels between, like musically, between this song and State of Grace. Because one thing I'm thinking is, I mean, has anyone ever really dived deep into um, religion in Taylor Swift? I wonder. Because those those are the two songs that have the obvious, like very overt religious language to describe similar moments of the experience of, of being in love and of falling in love. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, it goes all the way back to like our song where she's, you know, getting on her knees to pray that they can mm. sing it again. Totally. Which is again, like the, the, that exact same moment of, of falling in love and pure devotion. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. And it feels like this elevated reality, almost like this is, this is my calling. This is what I was like meant to do. This is a, a divine. Totally. Act. Yeah. Clearly, this wasn't because this is only the memory of the relationship. But <laughs> I don't know, so sad. Sadly, and tragically, but also maybe beautifully, it did end. So should we <laughs> talk ah! about <laughs> beautiful segue? Oh, Daniel, you've outdone yourself. <laughs> Thank you. So let's talk about sad, beautiful, tragic. I feel like this is a really an underrated one from this album. I agree completely. Yeah, I really liked the opening of it. Oh, yeah, I just love how this opening guitar hook is built on these non-chord tones who immediately are built into this, like, tension and release where you, like, you start on this G chord, but the the main note that you're focusing on is this F sharp, which creates this really intense tension that is just crying to be resolved, and it keeps getting resolved and then unresolved again, so it's like... And then instead of going under for a non-chord tone, it goes up to the A. And, And you're sort of like undulating between the home note and these uh, non-chord tones and just increases this like nice um, cushion of momentum and, and tension that like keeps the song going but also allows you to like focus in on this all these pictures that she's creating all, all of her lyrics yeah I think one thing that I'm thinking about maybe one thing that makes it difficult for me to get on board with a lot of these poppier songs hmm. is that sadly for her and for all of us Taylor just doesn't really have the the vocal skill to build to certain moments that we're used to from like what whoever like Ariana Grande or even like whatever Demi Lovato like we yeah, don't Beyonce have like Beyonce or, or Lady Gaga Beyonce, yeah. yeah exactly 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 she doesn't have that she can't provide that and so her like sort of weird stuttering whether it's like red or like falling off of the climax you know Mm. that she does sort of to make up for that yeah and like how she often gives us a quiet version of the chorus before the last one to make it seem bigger like this is one song i don't think it's the only one on this album but like this song is definitely one where i don't feel that way like there's never a moment where i'm like oh she's making up for the fact that she can't really do this it's like she's just singing it sounds good it sounds pretty it's all within her range it's all simple and it sounds sad that's a fantastic point and this is one of the songs that um i would list as being a a key song on the road to her folklore and evermore albums where it's like she's Mm -hmm. embracing her lower register her her breathiness her like intimate 
folksy orchestrations. And I agree. It's like she's not trying to be a big pop powerhouse Beltras. She's like, I'm a storyteller and I don't want you to be distracted with anything else. And it's like, there's such evocative imagery in this song with the, like the note in the pocket and, and the locket. They both have these secret talismans of each other. I was going to say, I love in the second verse, the like going, seeing each other in their dreams and then waking up in lonely beds. It's like, that's, you're, you're exactly right, Danielle. This is just such a prime example of her as a storyteller and being like, I'm just going to express to you how I feel in this moment and what, what this is like. And it just, she puts it so well into this imagery that it's just, it, it's like she doesn't need to do anything besides just tell the story through it, through the lyrics she's written. Absolutely. And I, I love in this, first of all, that second verse, I love the time is taking its sweet time erasing you. First of all, it's like, mm, wow, that hurts. Uh, second of all, it's like, it re- that's one where it's like, this is actually set up well in the album because it compares with Holy Ground, where she's also kind of cherishing the memories, but it also hurts that this joy is no longer something that's part of my life. And yeah, and then we get into this bridge where she breaks down the fallout between these two people down to its barest bones, and she just gives these little snippets of, you know, distance, timing, breakdown, crying. Like, she doesn't even need to give you the whole sentence because it's like, you know, the story's got dust on every page. Like, we know how this happened. The reason doesn't even matter. It's just, like, all that matters is it fell apart and these two people are no longer together. They both have these... They, one person has a lock and one person has a note, but it's like they don't have each other. No. Different cities. I feel like all of the lyrics that people are bringing up, I'm sort of like, oh, that's that's compelling to me. But somehow that was not compelling to me when I, like, heard it in this song. So, um, <laughs> I don't know what that says about me and my listening skills or... <laughs> I'm no longer going to make any arguments yeah, about the album. Just... I'm just going to read back the lyrics to make sure we've actually heard it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should all be so lucky. In fact, we might even be the lucky one. <laughs> um, uh, Daniel's so... trying it. <laughs> I'm not really right, pulling. One. <laughs> uh, how do we feel about the lucky one? I thought it was very interesting that, that both this one and Sad, Beautiful, Tragic have this very interesting, very random sonic space that they create, and then, like, the song kind of emerges out of that, um, which I, I like. If you listen very, very carefully, there's, like, these little electronic glitches mm. that happen during the swell to kind of show us that this is also another sound that's in reverse. Well, obviously, this one is very, like, reflective on the past. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, like, it's difficult to make a topic like this song relatable, because it's, like... And you're thinking about some one mm. other like random star that nobody knows about, and it's about you also being a star. But it, I feel like it still feels relatable because it's also sort of just about yeah. looking back on life and wondering if you made the wrong decisions, like watching your idols go off in different paths in life. And she also achieves this with like a very general chorus. So you can, it's that idea of right. you keep the, the verses very specific and you know, keep the choruses very general and uh, right. relatable, which she does very well in this song. Absolutely. I think it's such a smart decision to have her as her stardom rising be kind of just like in the latter part of the song. And then you have this contrast between these two different experiences and you're able to put the time in between them. It really sets up like the narrative very nicely for the song. (gasps) That's a fantastic point. Totally. Thank you. Um, there's a few moments that I really like when she's singing about looking like a 60s queen. We have this 60s style drum beat that really sonically sets it apart. Um, there's this moment where she sings, another name goes up in light. We get this strummed guitar chord that brings to mind the image of another name being splashed across a billboard. And I just love 
you chose the Rose Garden over Madison Square. Like, what a brilliant parallel. So smart. So pithy. Totally. She's a smart lady. She can turn a phrase like no one ever even... So. At the end of the day, there's always a song like this on the Taylor Swift album. She's like, I don't... It's not all about love, you guys. Here's another one. Like, here's a song that's about a wholly other issue. Like, here's this song. This guy, he's dying. Let's talk about this guy for, like, one song. And we'll, we'll talk about how much I love my mom just for, like, one song. Do you know what I mean? There's always one of these. And sometimes she has an excellent father. <laughs> yeah. Occasionally, I have an excellent father. <laughs> and it's never, is it ever the best song? Is it ever the song that any of us want to listen to? You know, maybe not. This one, that, yes. That's my experience. This is a good example of it. This is maybe yeah. the best example of it, you know? But it's not what you're coming Where, to the album for. It's not, no. I listen to this song quite often, <laughs> but I don't know. It's a fantastic song. Let's move it on to Everything Has Changed. We've all agreed it's a fantastic song. Now let's move on. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything to the contrary. No, it's like... Just no, 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 you're great. Let's move on. Listen to her delivery of how she says, you took the money it's and you're digging how Sadie and didn't got the hell out. <laughs> Listen to the delivery of no, got the hell out. Good. It's beautiful. No, it's good. This is a beautiful song. I, I don't mean to. Mm. I had my hot take about the one song thing. I delivered it. You guys might think, now that Sadie has made this amazing observation about the way the Taylor Swift structures her albums and always has this one random song, yeah. Like that maybe now everything has changed in the way that you like view her mm. as an artist. And with oh. that in mind, I That's think a... we should talk about everything has changed. That's a good one. <laughs> you did it. That's for you. Round of applause. I'm standing. Thank you. Yes. 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 <laughs> um my thought on this song is I think very relatively different from what Taylor is actually talking about. Um, for this, for me, this really reminded me of um, kind of the sensation, not of like love at first sight, but kind of like the moments after you know like something is going to happen, like whether that is like you've kissed or like you've hooked up or like whatever, like, but you know there actually is going to be something going on in this relationship. And I think the line, I just want to know you better now is, like, now that I, like, know that there's potential here, like, I just, all I want to do is, like, throw myself into, like, your entire life. I think it's very telling that in the music video for this song, it's kids. It's kiddos. It's kids. I don't like that. And? I think that's very telling. Go ahead, Emily. Tell me what? <laughs> well, it's, like, this is a song that's, like, about the simplest aspect of love. Like, yeah. the, like, most clear-cut, like, mm. not childish, but, like, innocent aspect of it. You know, even more so well, than, like, State of Grace or anything like that. Go ahead, Emily. I think it's very interesting if you think about this song, like, not being, uh, not necessarily being rooted in romantic attraction, but, like, even just, like, platonic mm. or, like, Ooh. shall we say aesthetic attraction. It's, like, I feel like this... To um, Ed Sheeran? This could no be way. If you separate, perhaps, a cheering I'm always, like, making a very excellent point, and Daniel's like, have you heard that Ed Sheeran sucks? (laughs) (laughs) No, but... No, I'm with you, Emily. I'm with you. But 
but I feel like it really is like I think just this larger idea of like I'm really intrigued by this person and I may not even necessarily know what it is yet like I feel like I've experienced that like where I meet someone and I'm like I I don't exactly know where I land in terms of like compartmentalizing this but it's like I would like to get to know you better like there's something very intriguing about you and so I do feel like in a way the music video did like really open kind of my eyes for it not being like like I feel like if I heard this I would just be like ah yes her it's her and Ed Sheeran gazing into each other's eyes in the recording sure. studio like that's that's the concept but the I, I think it has like a yeah that's the picture but uh <laughs> aside from that <laughs> I I think it really does have a, a larger um idea behind it larger uh potential implications for like, sure that's a fantastic point I'm sorry I derailed it with my criticism of Ed Sheeran <laughs> aesthetics <laughs> but you raised an excellent point for me for me what i like is oh we keep coming back to this i just want to know you better section and i love how the first time that comes around you're given only the smallest amount of harmonic information like you're given just Mm. like these scratching noises which are maybe it's like a snare or unpitched like guitar scratches and you're given a bass line it's like I would like to fill out the information of what I'm being given and you get an idea of what the chords are through Ed Sheeran's harmonies the next time it comes around. So I think that creates like this really beautiful argument. Like, I don't know what your side of the story is. And now you get to fill in the extra gaps. And um, Mm -hmm. it's like clear that there's a lot of cohesion between the two of them because he's singing about, you know, all all these walls um, I painted blue. Like there's cohesive imagery with the blue and the painted walls like all the way from her like title track all the way at the beginning of, of this album we all remember cold as you don't we yeah Do exactly we it's like you put up all those walls and, and paint them all a shade of gray yes that's what i'm thinking of mm. yes yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well i no. think we can all agree that ed sheeran is like a beautiful singer and artist and i, I think that's the big takeaway that we have well, song. I do think so he sounds pretty good on this. Like he has these he gorgeous, like airy background good. vocals <laughs> in the bridge, and I think it sounds, I think it sounds really good. There's also, I mean, I think in the second verse, it's a fluty instrument, maybe even like a fluty organ or something. But it like I'm with you. I am with you. Yeah, and there's like an accordion that comes in, and it's like very romantic. And like again, we keep coming back to Shakespeare, but it's very much like. What are these, you know, classic, like, oh, I'm in love, like, and, and, and spring is blooming sure. and things are starting over type of very overly romantic pictures that is painted. And it all is very cohesive with this idea that you're talking about, Emily, with like, you don't even know where this could lead to. But it's also like very much at its basics, just a, a very simplistic mm, or kind of like easy, uh, not even easy, but yeah, very childlike just simple, wonder. Just simple, because yeah. at the end of the day, it's simple. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the outro, we have these references to her other past work beyond Cold As You. We have All I Know Is Pouring Rain. Like, she sings about pouring rain a ton. And then they say, All I Know Is A Newfound Grace That Connects Back to State of Grace. It's <gasps> like, um, there's a lot of cohesion in this song. And I think it was a, a solid effort between the two of them. Wait, Daniel, 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 not to take over. Feed me feed me the next title. What is it? <laughs> Starlight? Wait, or am I, am I transitioning okay. for you? No, oh, I was gonna, I was gonna try for it. Whoever, whoever, wait, whoever can come up with it first should do it. Daniel, if you have one, oh, well, it's go like, for it. I'm, it's clear I'm that lost. when Ed, you know Ed Sheeran was a huge fan of Taylor Swift, so the first time he looked at her, there was like he was really starry eyed. He had all the starlight in his eyes, and I think we should talk yes. about that feeling, about being filled with starlight, and that what better song than the song Starlight? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I have to say to that, Daniel? Oh my. 
better than the song, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is like this song. It makes me kind of sad that one of the few happy songs on this album isn't even about her own relationship. Like it's about Bobby Kennedy. I know. I, I just need a quick a quick history lesson. Bobby Kennedy is like the 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 brother of JFK, right? Who could say I'm gay? Yeah. I only know Taylor Swift. <laughs> no, I think that's right. That's title this of a... episode. Who can say I'm gay? Who can say? <laughs> this song is about Ethel and Bobby Kennedy. I don't know if that helps at all. <laughs> it does. It does. Okay. I... Do you do you all find it very interesting to listen to? No. No, right? I like I like the twinkling. There's like this instrumentation that mimics twinkling stars that happens right at the beginning of the song. I think that's a nice choice. I feel like this song doesn't work in its lack of specificity. Mm. It's like, here is this relationship that I was not a part of and I like know the gist of it and here you go. And every once in a while you're like, oh, I'm going to throw in a fact like, and then we're going to have 10 kids and raise them. And it's like, remember that so you know it's like a specific relationship but other than that I feel like it's just a, a general kind oh, of yeah it's like a wikipedia entry <laughs> right, right. it's like you know it's like picture it we're dancing we're dancing everyone's dressed nice we're a couple and and but, then we have 10 kids and look it's the kind of <laughs> but it's like without the emotional specificity of like a song like enchanted you know yeah. which is essentially about the same moment in life yeah I'm also thinking that, like, famously, mm-hmm. nobody knows what she's saying at the <laughs> lyric, I met Bobby on a boardwalk. So, like, first of all, the conceit in and of itself doesn't work because nobody knows that it's about the Kennedys because everybody at that p- moment thinks that she's saying, I'm a Barbie on a boardwalk. I Until this exact moment, I that's what I thought. Is that not right? It's about Bobby Kennedy. I met Bobby on a boardwalk. I Bobby on Oh. <laughs> Go on, Daniel. No, that's what I'm saying. It's like... The one line that like sets up this Wikipedia entry <laughs> of an of a song, you you don't even know what she's saying. So, my question is, do you think we should begin again? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> so it's ever a time to. Has everyone seen the music video for this song? No. I have. When I think of the aesthetic of, of this album, when I think of Taylor Swift's aesthetic and how it has changed throughout the years, and then I like consider this album as a milestone. This is classic, like ethereal Taylor Swift. She wears this lavender dress. It's like she's like it's a new aesthetic. Oh, it's so has like I like that dress a lot. It's very flowy. It's very like fucking uh, like anthropology. Like then she does the red lipstick. And long story short, this is like the beginning of like Taylor Swift as Hollywood star. That's this song. That's his album. That's his album. And mm. it's sort of in contrast to that, I I like how sonically this song goes back to old Taylor standard country um, songs. Like you have like a steel pedal guitar and it really feels like this, mm, like a comfort blanket of familiarity as she steals herself to like build herself back up again to put herself out there again. I mean, she even brings back her signature melodic hook here, the tea drop on the lyrics. I do as another component to this familiarity. And I don't know, it just like creates this cyclical imagery of her getting her heart broken and stealing herself before she falls over and over again, all while, you know, uh, bringing closure to 
all too well and holy ground with the line um, for the first time what's past is past and she can really start to move on from you know when she was singing like time won't fly thinking of how this is the era where a lot of Taylor hate is going to be coming up I appreciate that in a way this song is yeah I have been through heartbreaks and they're being documented on albums but also if I fall in love again it's ultimately because I'm just falling in love again. I don't know. I feel like there's something very Mm. genuine in her describing this budding relationship because from my memory, most of the Taylor hate I heard was like, oh, she just all, she's in all these relationships just so she can write songs about them. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so looking back on it now, I feel like in a way this kind of addressing it being like, I have been through heartbreaks and I will be through first loves. And I think Daniel, you mentioned kind of the cyclical nature of heartbreak and new relationships. And that's just something that, all of us perhaps have the potential to experience. And so that she's addressing that and putting that into the final track of this album, I really appreciate. Yeah, yeah. And she's even afraid. She's almost like, do I even bother trying this again? Like, am I just going to get stopped all over? Or is it like worth it? Is it worth it to go through the lows of these feelings just to feel essentially, you know, bread, to feel all that passion? Is it worth it? And ultimately, mm. she decides yes. <laughs> All right. Well, but is I, it? But is it? Wow. Wait. Do you guys think it is <laughs> worth it? I have a, here's my question. Here's How my question. As we end the discussion See, of the album, Red, is it worth it? Should we just throw in the towel? It's too hard, right? <laughs> I want or to maybe say no, saying. but it's also like emotionally, Remember? I have said yes. Exactly. <laughs> Remember, everything has changed. It it can be so simple. But nothing has changed. <laughs> You'll begin again. <laughs> the lesson, if Taylor Swift has taught me one thing, it's that nothing will change. <laughs> it's like, how many times can we all of us go through these fucking breakups and listening to these Taylor Swift songs again? You know? Well, at least we something have new Taylor Swift songs to, to listen to. <laughs> it's personal now but you're right Daniel actually at the end of the day what Daniel just said is absolutely correct we have new Taylor Swift songs to listen to <laughs> and everything's gonna be okay <laughs> thank you Taylor thank you for this gift <laughs> <laughs> well we laughed we cried and I'm sure by now we're all seeing red a big thanks to my willing and ready co-hosts Rafe and Emily and to our special guest Sadie for providing amazing Shakespearean insight and chaotic segues. As always, I'm Daniel, and thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to follow our Instagram at taylor underscore podcast for all of the updates, and we'll be back in two weeks.